Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Destination Dynasty. I am your host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at a Charles Chill FFB. And we are just returning from the Senior Bowl in Mobile. It was an awesome time. Got to do something new. If anyone has seen a couple of the Twitter threads where I was able to interview some players, uh, a new thing for me. So it was really challenging as a content creator, but also as somebody that wanted to push myself to do something different. So really proud of that work. Uh, check that out if you haven't. And with this episode, I'm going to jump right into the final episode of the roster construction series for best ball. We're going to be talking wide receivers. And if you're interested in following along, I recommend everybody checking out destinationdevy.com. You can see the war tool, which I'm going to use for the breakdown, which I've used for the breakdown of the previous shows as well. Talking quarterbacks, running backs, and tight ends. And then also the Trinity Tracker, which is our special wide receiver tool that we use to evaluate wide receivers aside from their situation. So we'll talk about the Trinity Tracker as well in this episode because I am going to use it, kind of hone in how I'm going to construct my wide receiver room. So check those out on DestinationDebbie.com. And if you want more content from Ray and myself over in the Destination Debbie Discord, you can sign up. On the website, DestinationDebbie.com, join the Destination 5 tier, or join the Patreon, patreon.com backslash all gas. Access to the DTI 5 or the Heisman tier. If you join the Heisman tier, you get access to everything, which includes the voice chat, which is going to be ramping up here very shortly, where Ray and I are in there just talking Dynasty. If that's where you want to find us on a random Tuesday morning, that's where we'll be. So if you want that type of access, check it out. Patreon.com backslash all gas or destination But let's get into the wide receiver roster construction series because we've talked about the other three positions. Everyone that wants to follow along, you can use the war tool and you can pull up the roster construction series league, which is under my Twitter handle at Charles Chill FFB. Plug that in. You can pull up the roster construction series league, which is already set for what I've used for this series. It's a 12-team, start 11, 30-man rosters, 
1.75 tight end premium, and it's start three receivers. So if you're trying to mimic the league, you can literally go in, start a new sleeper league, make it start 11, 30-man rosters, change the tight end premium to 0.75, and then make the receivers two instead of three. That is it. No other changes. The format is based on pretty much everything else standard except for those. So when you have that, we've already gone through each position other than wide receiver and established the baseline as to what optimal roster construction is. We settled on five tight ends. We settled on five quarterbacks. And we settled on seven running backs. So right there, we have 13 roster spots. So you guessed it. The magic number is 13 for wide receivers. Now, I did want to point this out. I've talked about this on a couple of the previous episodes, but I did want to point this out that when it comes to your optimal roster construction, and this is a thread that I read, I didn't respond to, but I read it, and it was a thread on X that talked about why are you striving for optimal roster construction right now? And it was from Dynasty Onion. A lot of people probably follow him. Sharp Dynasty Mind puts out a lot of good stuff on X, challenges me at times, challenges some of our ideas at times. And it was essentially a thread that talked about why are you striving to chase roster construction or team building ways of the past? Why are you looking as to what things looked like over the past couple years and chasing that? And while I didn't necessarily go, okay, I totally agree with this, clearly I don't because I'm putting out content talking about roster construction constantly. But it does make me think a little bit to say, all right, if somebody is going to not have a roster construction that they are following, and I think this is where a lot of people that already have leagues that might be finding the lineup series or this best ball series, but they already have leagues that are created, teams that are built. And they go to those and they say, all right, I'm not to the construction that I want. So essentially, not by choice, they are straying away from the roster construction because they've already built a certain way. I get a ton of people that come to me and go, hey, I just finished your roster construction series, whether it be the lineup one or the best ball one, and will say, my team isn't there. What do I do? And I think that's an important topic because there's two parts to that. It's my team isn't there. What do I do? Well, obviously, you're listening to the series. You've taken something away from it, and you're wanting to make some changes. But then there's others that will say, all right, I'm in a startup draft. The league hasn't even drafted yet. I'm building my team in the startup right now. But there's opportunities where, man, I just can't not stray because of this, because of that. And I think we have to realize it's okay to stray. I have said this from the get-go. It is okay to stray away from optimal roster construction. And I think this might have been kind of what Dynasty Onion was talking about, like don't be stuck on having to follow this because there's other factors that play in Dynasty that is not just your roster construction. There's a market. There's the psychology of playing a head-to-head game against other managers when it comes to that market. It's an investment market. It's a trade market. You barter back and forth on draft picks, on players, all that kind of stuff. So there are going to be times where you go, okay, I, I have to go in this direction, even though something else tells me I should be going in that direction. And that is okay. And all I would say is 
be cognizant of that and just have a plan for it. I've talked about it on prior shows, so I'm not going to rehash it. But if you're going to stray away, if you're going to add an extra quarterback, if you're not going to have enough of something that you think you're going to need, just have a plan to eventually get there. The how, the when, all of those have to be accounted for. But that doesn't mean you got to go, oh my gosh, I am under or over at this position. I, I can't do anything until I fix it. No, that's not the case. This is a dynamic game especially if you're playing in a portfolio. And I, I give a shout-out to Dynasty Portfolio Weekly uh, that I do on the Destination Debbie YouTube channel where I talk about some of these things from more of a portfolio lens. Like, how are you behaving when you have 40, 50 leagues and using that to your advantage? If you're playing in a portfolio, there's no way every one of your teams is close to optimal construction. Now, I try to keep them as close or in the direction or moving where I want to go, but it's impossible to look at every one of my rosters and go, man, they're all right on the roster construction that you want. That's just not feasible. So it's really more of a have a plan when you stray versus, man, you have to always be following this and don't get caught up in the, well, if I'm off my construction or I'm heading in a direction that maybe is taking me away from that, especially in the off season, there's nothing that you really have to do between now and August. That's really going to be worrisome when it comes to roster construction. If you say, I just want to abandon it and just chase value, just chase market opportunities, then go ahead, but just kind of have it in the back of your mind. This is where I eventually want to get to. So back to the wide receivers. So today we're going to use, both the war tool and we're going to use the trinity tracker so i think the first thing to establish is 13 receivers that's a lot and with 13 wide receivers you're gonna get to a point where you go okay how many of those do i need to actually have quote unquote dynasty value in versus how many of them are just back-end roster spots because unlike in a lineup league you'll notice that a lot of the weekly spot starts, a lot of the let me pick this player up off waivers because they have opportunity in best ball, those oftentimes come at wide receiver. Now, they can come at quarterback. They can come at running back. But those are more truly like week-to-week pickups. And a lot of times if a running back or a quarterback has opportunity for one week and then it's gone the next week, those are not worth a roster spot. Whereas the nature of receivers, it's a little bit different. Understanding that over 100 receivers in a given year will post a top 36 week, which if you just look at a, a best ball league like this, that's definitely going to fire in one of your flexes. But for a lot of teams, that's even going to fire in one of your wide receiver spots. So if you think about that, that there's going to be over 100 usable players at wide receiver, and that's at least for one usable week. Then when you lower the threshold into a start 11 where you have three flex spots and three receiver spots. Now you're sitting there going, okay, how many receivers are going to post a top 50 week, a top 40 week. Now you're starting to get into the numbers, 125, 130 or more of them in a given season. And it can happen at any time. And there might be 50 players that only do it once, only post a top 40 week one time. And the key for you is to cast a wide enough net to where you can hold those players on your roster for a good majority of the season, but also don't rely on them from a week-to-week -week basis. It's the same thing as holding 
a bunch of backup QBs and a bunch of backup running backs in your lineup league. You're effectively putting them in spots that are not going to hurt you on a week-to-week basis, but they could help you. And in best ball, because it can happen at any time and because you get the result if they're just on your roster, you do want to hold those receivers once you find them. Once you see that their usage is a certain way, or once you see that they're maybe getting a couple targets in an offense where you want to have the fourth or fifth receiver on the offense, you'll pick them up. So they're a little more permanent, I think. Doesn't mean there's not week-to-week opportunities, and there's a lot of times where we think we know who those receivers are going to be, and we go, oh yeah, that's the wide receiver 100 coming into the year. We know for sure that Isaiah Hodgins is going to be the wide receiver two or three on the Giants. And so I'm going to roster him, but I'm not going to roster Darius Slayton or Sterling Shepard or whoever it might be. And then two weeks in, it's the opposite. Two weeks in, you're going, yep, I should have had the other guy. And that happens a lot. But once you see that, what I've noticed in best ball is a lot of times those players get picked up and then they get held for a little while. And that's where I think you have to have those rotating roster spots at the back. So here's how I would play it if we're talking about this format. I would reserve at least three of those spots. So let's say three of my 13 receivers. So call it your last three roster spots if you want. Those would be used for basically rotating bodies week to week. And that gives me enough flexibility to say, okay, I'm not sure who the wide receiver five on Cincinnati is or the wide receiver five on Miami is. But one of those offenses, I probably would be fine having that player on my team because they're they're probably going to have one or two games during the year and I'm okay using a roster spot on them for the majority of the season. But I don't know who it is. So I'm just going to kind of randomly take some stabs. But if I'm wrong, I want to go to waivers and say, let me replace them with the other guy. Let me pick up somebody else that fits one of those spots. So you're going to give yourself essentially three roster spots at wide receiver where you're just churning and burning. Now, I mentioned on the quarterback episode, you know, you're going to slowly kind of build up your quarterbacks from maybe three locked in starters to five when you get to the season. And if you only have three now, that's probably two spots you're saying, all right, I'm waiting for opportunities to pick up, you know, a short term spot start QB sometime during the season. So you may be holding one or two spots at quarterback and running back for the same reason. If you go back and listen to those episodes, it's not necessarily feasible that in a best ball league, you're already at the prerequisite number of running backs, which is seven, or the prerequisite number of quarterbacks, which is five. I don't expect people to have, oh, I have locked in seven running backs. I have locked in five quarterbacks. That's very hard to do, especially if you're starting a brand new league. So Major theme here, and if you go back to listen to one of the episodes I did during the season, and I'll link it again in the show, uh, the five things I've kind of learned while playing a best ball portfolio, this was one of them, is you're churning and burning your roster spots, and I just talked about three receiver spots, two running back spots, or three running back spots, two quarterback spots. There's a lot of churn and burn. The number one rule, I would say, and it's fitting for the receiver series here, if you're not grinding every roster spot on a weekly basis, and when I say grinding, it doesn't mean you need to pick up 10 players and drop 10 players, but going through the back half of your roster in best ball and every week doing the analysis in your head, can I hold that player if they're a zero? 
can I hold this player if this week I can't project them to even have a shot in my lineup? Now, receivers are easy. You may not know when the receiver five on the Bengals is going to have a good game, but you go into it going, he's healthy. They're not on a bye. He's going to see the field for five, six snaps this week. Perfect. I can justify a roster spot on that player. That's where receiver is different than some of the other positions. A running back, a third string running back that's only going to see the field if there's an injury, probably not worth a spot. Same with the quarterback that's not starting that week. That's where it differs in best ball versus lineup. You have to make sure that you have live darts at as many spots as possible. And for me, if it's a start 11, I need at least 22 live darts every week. Doesn't matter. I need at least double the number of players that could start available. And that might be like, well, that's easy to do. It's eight roster spots that I'm a little shaky on. Wait till there's injuries. Wait till there's bye weeks. If you play best ball on sleeper, there's no injured reserve. Bye weeks? All right, well, he's out this week. But what about next week? He's going to be back. But you're going to quickly realize if you're playing best ball on sleeper, you have four injuries, and there are four players where you don't want to cut, but they're also out for six weeks. Okay, that's four zeros right there, but you can't cut them. And maybe you have three players on a bye this week. Right there, you're down to 23. Then you're looking at your running backs and your quarterbacks going, are these guys going to be on the field? If no, very easily you could be down to 17, 18, 19 players, and that's just not optimal. So kind of understanding that concept and managing your team that way. For me, with wide receivers and best ball, the one thing that I was humbled by was how quickly they churn and burn and how replaceable they are once you get down to a certain range. So have the discipline when you have those bottom three receivers on your team. So let's call them wide receiver 11, 12, and 13 on your roster. Especially if a guy had a decent game. You'll have a guy like Jake Bobo had a decent game early in the year, right? But once you saw maybe one or two more games where it was like he's barely seen the field, that's the kind of player that when his bye week comes up or if he's inactive for a game, get rid of him. Get rid of him. But a lot of people hold on to that hopium. Well, that guy had that one game early in the year. I can't churn and burn that spot. Meanwhile, there's other players that you could have picked up in those places. So have those three roster spots as rolling add drop spots at the wide receiver position. And those are literally just anybody. Anybody that could be on a roster can fill those spots. So let's now focus on the other 10. How do I build the other 10? And this is where we go to the war tool first. So when you go to the war tool, pull up the league, Charles Chill, FFB, put that in the username field. And then you pull up the roster construction series. I'm going to direct you to a couple different tabs. And when you start to look at these, you'll see why it makes some sense. And I've talked about this a little bit on the previous shows when I went through the quarterback specifically, but also, you know, going through the other positions. You'll notice that there's two parts that you pull up when you're looking at this. So the first thing you want to click on is the three-year average war. And that pops up as soon as you log into the tool you can see the three-year average war. And then when you see that, you're going to immediately focus on what does the graph look like? 
What does the distribution look like at all of the positions? And just take a quick glance at what the three-year average war looks like. So when you run it, waiting for it to load here, not great podcasting while it's literally loading on my screen. But when you run it, the first thing you'll notice with the three-year average war is you will notice the line for the wide receivers starts higher than the other positions, but also levels off and maintains a higher range above all the other positions. The other positions eventually go negative, whereas receivers pretty much stay above the zero line well past where the graph goes, so past wide receiver 50. So that's the first thing you notice is basically receivers stay higher. So that speaks to right there how flat the position is, but also just how deep the position is from a season-long contribution standpoint in best ball. You see that flat blue line that goes from wide receiver 11 all the way to wide receiver 40. And you're going, okay, that's it, it's a little bit of a slope, but it's generally flat, which tells me from a week-to-week basis, you have a large chunk of receivers there to where their total war is going to end up somewhere in that one to two range for the season, which means cumulatively they're going to have weeks where they're posting top 12, top 24, top 36 numbers. Then they're going to have other weeks where they're not hitting your lineup, but that's where you're going to find your innings eaters. I like to call them innings eaters uh, when it comes to receivers because you need guys like that. And you probably want to focus on getting at least five or six of your receivers in that range of their their innings eaters. Guys like Deontay Johnson, Chris Godwin. I'm just throwing out random names. But for best ball, you got to have some of those guys. And you should be able to get those types at a price that's reasonable. And this is where the Trinity Tracker comes in. If you pull up the Trinity Tracker, you log in, and you just look. You just look at the last year's results. You can pull up a bunch of different cross-referenced points. You can look at Trinity score versus expected points, Trinity score versus points per game. Uh, The popular one for me is Trinity score versus keep trade cut value. So you can really see, okay, Trinity score, you know, there's a ton of stuff out there. If you just Google Trinity score or you go to YouTube, Ray did a ton of videos talking about what is the Trinity score? How did I come up with it? How did I develop it? How do I use it? Like check all of those out and you'll, you'll pretty much figure out exactly what it's measuring. Uh, But like Ray likes to call it, it is measuring a receiver and what are they doing? That is the wide receiver shit that could lean to fantasy points. Now that's not going to automatically mean fantasy points, but a higher Trinity score is essentially measuring how good a receiver is doing at putting himself in position to get fantasy points. Of course, then you have the quarterbacks and the offenses that will kind of drag that up or drag that down. But the idea is using the Trinity score as a really strong measurement to determine how good is a, as a receiver, how good are they at putting themselves in position to score points. So I would check that out, and that's where I think you can use the tool to go, okay, I can find some of these innings eaters for my best ball teams based on their KTC value. And once you get into this innings eater range, So let's call it your wide receiver 5 through 10 on your roster. I'm okay with them being the innings eaters. Let's call it wide receiver 15 to 40. And there's guys in there where you go, okay, that's a reasonable cost. I can get one of those guys for a second and a fourth. 
you know, you can find those players and you're not paying for the quote unquote dynasty value. You're not paying for, oh man, this guy's going to last me three years at this position. He's 23, could blow up. Like you're not necessarily paying that price, especially when you're on the back end of this graph. When you're in the wide receiver 30 to 40 to 50 range, you're not paying that price. And we haven't even talked about the rookies getting jumped into this. You know, this graph's going to get even flatter when you add in a bunch of rookie receivers in this year's class. So if you think about it, it's really about filling those spots. And that place in the receiver landscape is also kind of volatile from year to year. You have to find guys in that range to produce. If they produce, they'll stay in that range. They'll get a year older. Their dynasty demand will continue to fall. A guy like Chris Godwin, he has no dynasty demand. You know what his dynasty demand is? It's essentially, does somebody want him for the production floor or the innings that he can eat? And as soon as he shows that he can't eat those innings anymore, doesn't have any dynasty value. But he has zero dynasty value for investment. An investor in a dynasty league is not going, oh man, let me get that Chris Godwin because it's a great investment. No, he's already essentially like a running back. I need him for a purpose. And as soon as he doesn't produce for me why I have him, he's out of this range. So focus on that. I think that is the core that people forget. They're thinking, oh man, I need to get the high-end receivers. I need those spike weeks. But part of the value of having 13 wide receivers like this, if you're able to budget to have the 13, you don't need four studs. You don't need four top 15 wide receivers. Now we'll talk about that's maybe what the optimal would be, but you don't have to have it. You can get by with maybe a couple more innings eaters. You don't have to have all these elite guys at the top. You can get by with this if you have the volume. The key here is having six of these 10 that I talked about outside of the three roster spots I'm going to turn over being the innings eaters and having them at different ranges. You don't want them all to be wide receiver 40 through 50, but they don't all have to be on the higher end of that tier. They can be a mix. And you can look through at KTC. You can go through and look at, all right, where do the receivers start to get to a point where it feels like they drop off from a dynasty value standpoint? Uh, We'll just pull it up and look at it. So you get to wide receiver. Let's go to wide receiver 13. Oh, maybe let's go even higher. You have this range of Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Nico Collins, Rasheed Rice. Those are five players that kind of start this tier of innings eaters. Now, the interesting thing is a couple of the guys on the top of that list, Ayuk, Waddle, Devontae Smith, Nico Collins, all those guys are 25 plus years old. But they're still essentially seen as they have a little upside, right? They have a little potential future value. People are clearly preferring those players over the next tier of guys that might be a little bit lower. And you go, okay, those guys are 26, 27. DJ Moore, DK Metcalf, Michael Pittman, guys that are even a little bit older, Debo Samuel, Stefan Diggs, Terry McLaurin, Amari Cooper. Now, sure, those guys are maybe a little bit lower on the totem pole based on their recent production, but you can clearly see a trend at the top. People prefer those other guys because it's like, man, they're 25. We think they still have a little upside. Man, Brandon Ayuk still has more upside. Jalen Waddle still has more upside. So they're at the top end of that totem pole, whereas you go down a little bit, 
And you find guys, if you go way far down, you find guys like Terry McLaurin, Chris Godwin, Deontay Johnson, Calvin Ridley. Now you're starting to get into guys that are 28, 27, Calvin Ridley, 29. Those are the innings eaters. Those are the guys where you go, you know what? I can live with having six of those guys, but they don't all need to be the bottom tier. They don't all need to be Calvin Ridley, Terry McLaurin, Marquise Brown, Cortland Sutton. Like layer them. Think of this range as I want to have layers to my wide receiver room. If I have a Brandon Ayuk, I'm fine with my next receiver in this range being Debo Samuel. Then the next one, maybe I have one old guy in there. Maybe I have Devontae Adams or Mike Evans. All right, and then I have maybe a couple innings eaters that really I know their dynasty demand is limited. A guy like Christian Kirk or a guy like Deontay Johnson or Calvin Ridley. Those aren't investment pieces. Those are, I'm confident in this player's ability to earn targets and give me this production. And if it goes away, all you've lost is essentially one of those innings eaters, and he's going to be replaced by probably somebody else that goes into that range. So you don't look at those places as investments, but I want to focus on getting receivers that the Trinity especially says is good. You know, Trinity says this receiver is a good receiver. Trinity says Deontay Johnson is a good receiver. So he's the perfect type of player where a lot of people will go, I don't want him for best ball, but you want him for best ball when you're rostering 13 receivers. You're not going to be able to get six high-end receivers. Because if you did that, you'd probably go, man, I don't need 13 receivers. So part of this build is allowing yourself to embrace the fact that you're spending 13 of your 30 roster spots at the wide receiver position. So this is how I would build it. And then you start looking at, okay, can I find receivers that can get to this range even cheaper? Because now you're sitting here going, all right, I have my three rotating spots. I have six of these innings eaters, and I'm just hypothetically saying if I had to build it out, here's what I would be striving for. So it's three rotating spots. These are literally just receivers that I'm going to churn and burn on a weekly basis, right? So I have 10 spots left. Six of those are going to be the innings eaters, meaning I'm going from wide receiver 11 to wide receiver 45, wide receiver 50. And I want to get a chunk of them from there. Maybe a couple have value. Maybe a couple of them are young guys that have produced, like someone that the Trinity score absolutely loves, Demario Douglas. He's 23. He's wide receiver 49 on keep trade cut. He counts as one of those innings eaters. Now, maybe he's totally more risky than a guy like Calvin Ridley. But you can kind of look at him as they're occupying a similar spot. But I don't want six DeMario Douglases and saying, yep, I have six innings eaters because you probably have a couple guys that are not that at all. You probably also don't want six Calvin Ridleys because they literally are what they are. Their value will never go up. They literally have to produce, otherwise they fall. So you kind of want to blend. You know, for every DeMario Douglas, give me a Calvin Ridley. For every Brandon Ayuk, give me a Cooper Cup. So go through and look at these, and this is where a lot of the rookies that are not Malik neighbors, Marvin Harrison, maybe Roma Dunze, like this is the range they're going to fall. This is where they're going to start. You're going to draft wide receiver five, Brian Thomas Jr. This is where he'll go from a value standpoint. So if you have rookie picks and you're wondering, okay, do I take rookie picks in a startup if I'm building? 
yeah, this is where you would take most of the rookie pick placeholders outside of the top five or six picks. This is where they're going to slot in. And the cool thing is you go through and you see some of the names from last year, guys like Jaden Reed, Jordan Addison, Tank Dell, Rasheed Rice. Now those guys are on the higher end, right? But even if you go down a little bit further, Josh Downs, wide receiver 33. Dontavian Wicks, wide receiver 44. Demario Douglas, wide receiver 49. Michael Wilson, wide receiver 50. Marvin Mims, wide receiver 53. Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver 55. Jonathan Mingo, wide receiver 58. Now, some of those guys have gone up literally because they're young. But you kind of start to notice that in this year's receiver class, there might be 15 to 20 receivers that are maybe viable in this range. So this is actually a great class in best ball to go, all right, normally I don't value the 209 rookie pick. In best ball, it is a prime pick to take a shot at hitting on one of these innings eaters. Perfect. A guy like Josh Downs is a hit in a best ball league. You may get an innings eater at a price that wasn't even close to what it might have cost you if you had to go pay for the wide receiver 35 on the open market. You might have got him at end of the second, early third last year. And you didn't have to pay that price for a player that literally is the same as Calvin Ridley, Marquise Brown, but you would have had to pay for the name with those players. So something to think about when you're building a team in a startup, don't look at those picks like we might in a lineup league. In a lineup league, I'm getting to the mid-second of a rookie draft going, man, if I'm focused on roster construction, I'm not eyeing receivers there. I'm looking at those picks as kind of the dead zone picks because if I'm looking for any running back on a 53 or any quarterback on a two deep, like I'll get those guys even cheaper. You know, give me the Sam Hartman's or the Michael Pratt's. I want those guys in lineup leagues, but those are fourth round picks. Those are third round picks. You know, some of the running backs, Cody Schrader, Marshawn Lloyd, Ray Davis, those types of running backs, they're going to probably be fourth, fifth, sixth round picks in the NFL draft. Like those are third or fourth round rookie picks in a lineup league. And I probably don't want to hold a lot of draft capital from 204 to 301 in a lineup league because I really don't want to blow those picks on random quarterbacks, random running backs. To me, I'd rather cash those picks in for future picks and have a second to buy something during the season. Best ball, it's opposite. Given, especially given this receiver class, best ball, it's the opposite. I'm loving those seconds, those early thirds, because that's where I'm literally taking shots on some of the receivers. You know, I'll take a shot there on Javon Baker. He's an early fourth round NFL draft pick. Perfect. That's one of the ways you can chase a cheap innings eater receiver that if you hit on it, cool, you got him in the early third, mid third of your rookie draft. And right away takes one or two games and he's Demario Douglas. He's Michael Wilson. And that has value in best ball. So it's just a totally different way to think about draft picks. Whereas in a lineup league, you're looking at that range going, man, in a startup, it's very hard for me, especially the way that I would build the team. It's very hard for me in a lineup league startup to go, give me that pick 208. Because now I'm probably looking at the way I'm trying to roster construct. Man, I hope there's a running back there I can take. I hope there's a quarterback that I might have some interest in rostering, but I'm just not excited for that range. And best ball, it's totally the opposite. So there's alternative ways to find these innings eaters without just paying for them. So if you're in a startup and you're looking to kind of build this way, include those rookie picks 
and cast a wider net. Remember, when I talked about quarterbacks and running backs, what did I say specifically? You don't need seven running backs off the rip. You don't need five quarterbacks off the rip. So if you're doing a best ball startup and you're listening to this series, don't worry about those numbers yet. Use those extra spots in February to draft a couple extra rookie picks. You know, try to get your six innings eaters receivers, but then also draft maybe three rookie picks between 205 and 305. And just know that those are three additional shots that gives you a little bit of insurance that you're going to be able to hold and track throughout the offseason because maybe a couple of your receivers won't cut it. They won't stay there. So it casts a wider net at the position where I think it's most important to be at this number, to have the volume. That is the key with receiver, the volume. You want to have the volume of that 13 number and have it structured to where you're never going to the bat during the season where you don't have these numbers, where you're always kind of approaching this number because you don't want to hold the dead players. You don't want to hold the dead spots during the weeks. And the dead spots are generally going to be found at quarterback and at running back. So you want to be hitting these numbers at tight end and receiver specifically during the season. So take some extra shots. So now let's look at those other four spots. How do I approach it? A lot of people will ask in a best ball startup, you know, do I still value building around wide receivers? Given that so many receivers can fire in my lineup and I never have to sit and start, do I still value the high-end receivers? Do I still want to take a guy like CeeDee Lamb or Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase in the first round of the startup? And so here would be my answer to that. From an optimal standpoint, I would love to have three or four of those receivers that are just locked and loaded dynasty values. But what happens in practicality when you go into a startup, especially if you're sitting here going, okay, I'd really don't want to draft the receiver in the first round. And a lot of people don't want to draft the receiver in the first round of a best ball for this exact reason. They figure, well, I can just roster a ton of receivers and I don't need to take CD lamb in the first round. I'd rather have a quarterback because there's so many receivers that can fire. I, instead of CD lamb, I'll just get a bunch of them and I'll roster half my team being receivers and I'll make up for the points there. So from an ideal standpoint, I'd love to have four kind of locked and loaded dynasty value receivers. But practicality, it's probably more like maybe you can get two. Maybe you can get Chris Alave. Maybe you can get Garrett Wilson. Like depending on how you want to build, you might be able to get two of those. And you may also have, you know, a rookie pick or you may have a player that goes from the innings eater range and rises up. I mean, I already mentioned Ayuk. That's a guy that came from the 30s and 20s at wide receiver for the last couple of years, boom, right up to wide receiver 10. Is it possible that he's more than an innings eater? Yeah. Yeah. Based on this year, he was. So you kind of lucked into one of those organically that came from your innings eater range and, and rose up, which is why you want to have a couple of those guys that are in that innings eating range that have dynasty value, that are young. You know, that's why you want to take a shot on Drake London. You want to take a shot on George Pickens. Like you want a couple of those guys where it's like, man, if they have a big year, they're 23, all of a sudden they post a top 12 year, top 15 year, they might be up in the range that's above this mid-tier range that you've been drafting them for. So from a practical standpoint, it's very hard to say, okay, I'm going to hit on four top 12 receivers. You probably only are going to be able to get one or two. 
And with that, what does that typically mean from your construction standpoint? Now, if you only had, let's say you just took Justin Jefferson and then you don't take another receiver until it's, it's 23, 24, 25 receivers are off the board, right? That person is probably going to go, all right, I have Justin Jefferson. He's going to be able to carry me. He's going to be in my lineup literally every single week. But even if you look at Jefferson, there was times where he wasn't available. There were numerous games where you know he was in your lineup. He was wide receiver 48, wide receiver 50. So he was technically potentially in your lineup, but it would have been in the very last flex spot. And if you had the right construction, you might have had three or four receivers that were nobodies that fired and outscored him. So it's not even a guarantee that he's going to be in your lineup every single week. So I think we actually overestimate the power of a guy like Justin Jefferson in a best ball league. In a lineup league, here's the thing. You're starting him every week no matter what. You're going to live with the ups and downs. But the other people that do not have a stud like him also have to pick a finite number of receivers that they're starting every week. So they still have to make the decisions. They can't just roster 10 Hollywood Browns and Calvin Ridleys and six of the weeks, they're going to outduel Justin Jefferson. But they don't have to pick which three they're starting every week. It's like, yeah, I just get the the max optimal results of all 10 of those guys that are going to fire every single week. Then you look up and you go, yeah, man, he had two receivers every week that outscored Justin Jefferson's six bad games. I mean, they all, even his decent games, you know, you probably had one or two guys on your bench if you had 10 in that range that simply just outscore the elite guys. So I do think the elite guys are overvalued from the standpoint of if I was building a team, it's much harder to lock in a high-end QB in best ball versus you can still play the receiver position with volume. What I think it does is it does allow you a little bit of leeway to go a little more flexible. So let's say you start your best ball league with CD Lamb. You're locking him in. You're looking at, all right, I'm going to get 10 weeks of 18 points a game from CD Lamb or better. Now, we might have seven games that you know aren't that great, or for fantasy, six games that aren't that great, but I'm going to get 10 games where I know he's cracking one of my three wide receiver spots. That's nice to lock in because when you go down a little bit further, when you're down into the innings eating range, you're maybe getting five or six, maybe seven or eight on the high end. But you're mostly looking at like these guys are going to fire in my receiver starting spot six times, not 10. That's the difference between the two. But if you think about that and you play it on a week-to-week basis, and this is where if you go to uh, the My League Analytics tool on the War tool, so click on the tab next to the three-year war, you go to My League Analytics. And what you'll notice is if you scroll down, you will see the replacement wide receiver points per game, 8.1. You can see that at the top. That's essentially saying what the replacement value is on an average basis each week. doesn't really mean much without this context, but when you scroll down and you see optimal league-wide flex starters, so not super flex. Super flex basically says in this scoring, you always want to have a quarterback in the super flex spot. That's easy. It says the optimal is 12. The most that can start in a week is 12, so there you go. Basically, 100% of the time, optimally, quarterback should be in the super flex spot. But go down. Optimal league-wide flex starters. You'll notice numbers 9, 15, and 12. Now, if you're thinking about that, okay, that adds up to 36, right? What does 36 signify? Three flexes. 12 teams, three flexes. So right there, it's telling me that the majority of the time, now not all the time, but the majority of the time, 
in a 12-team start 11, 30-man rosters, wide receivers are occupying the flex spots. And if you do the math, 15 divided by 36, 42% of the time, wide receivers are hitting the flexes. And anyone that remembers my old roster construction stuff from Dynasty and Chill, this is what I was using four years ago to go through and go, all right, in this format, wide receivers hit the flexes about 42% of the time. So if you think about that, you probably want to plan on that 42% of the time in the flex spot, having receivers available. So how do I capture that? And how do I make sure that it's at least that number, if not more? That is why we're going with so many receivers. That is why we are preferring receivers over more tight ends, receivers over running backs. It's not just the nature of the scoring of the positions, but literally it's based on data saying this is the dominant position. And it's the dominant position deeper than the other positions. So there's more of them and it's the most impactful, which is why we're literally rostering 13 of our 30 roster spots being wide receivers. So if you go back to the point I was making with right around on average, let's say it's 10 weeks that you're getting locked in wide receiver spot production from CD lamb from Jamar chase. And then it's six that you're getting from the innings eaters. It's basic math. Right across the league for the season, let's not count the playoffs because that's a little bit of a different animal, but let's just count there's 14 weeks in your late regular season, correct? Correct. So there's 14 weeks times three receiver spots. That's 42. So across the year, you need to have 42 receiver spots that you're filling. We move down to the flex spots now. So there's three flex spots. And there's 14 weeks. So that's 42 weeks you want to fill those flex spots. And then you take 42% of the time, that's going to be a receiver if you're talking about the optimal number. Right there, you're at 18 more starts that you want to be probably hitting at least that replacement level, but probably a lot more points per game than that that you want to be hitting in those spots. So right there, you've already accounted for that you need 42 of them in your wide receiver spots, and then you need another 18 in your flex spot. So if you just think about it, and I don't want to use 18 points per game because it's not that high. That's what you're getting from the elite guys, but let's call it 15 points per game. I need to find 15 points 60 different times across my dynasty season at the wide receiver position. And I'm not getting the exact math, but go back and look at like 2023 and just literally go back and you can do this on fantasy data, which is a really good site to do it. You can literally go back and sort by every single weekly spot from a receiver and you can sort by how many receivers put up at least 15 points in a given week. And I'm actually going to do that while we're here. So I'm going to take... About 15 seconds to look at that. If you go to fantasydata.com, you can literally look at this. So we're talking again, weekly production from week one, and we'll make it week 14 because that's what I was using. So this is the regular season, week one through 14, wide receivers filtered by PPR points at the wide receiver position. And then you can expand it to show at least 300 on a page. Let's look at how many receivers put up games of at least 15 points 
across the season. So you scroll down, you scroll all the way down, and it's not quite 300. 295 games, actually 300 on the nose if you really look at the tiebreaker numbers at 15 points per game. 300 games in 2023 did a receiver score 15 points or more. And we're using that as the baseline qualifier of what would hit your lineup. When you expand that to 13 points, that goes all the way down to another 83 weeks. When you expand that down to 12 points, you're going down another 50. So 433 times in 2023 did a receiver put up at least 12 points in a game. And you think about that, like you only need, what, 60 of those-ish? So right there, you can start seeing the math, and it's essentially trying to stack as many options to hit those numbers. And I know we're kind of getting convoluted in terms of looking at this from a week-to-week standpoint. Obviously, there are spike weeks when Jamar Chase scores 52 points. That can literally make up for the fact that you don't have three other guys that are hitting 15 points that week. Like It can make up for the fact that maybe you have one or two less in a given week. But you get the idea as to why you're looking at this from a pure construction standpoint. I'm looking at the receiver position to try to give me as many shots during the season to fill out effectively those 60 receiver spots that I want to get at least 15 points per game from those flexes and from those receivers. And there was almost 300 of them. There was 300 of them that happened. I'm just shooting for 60. If I can get 60 of that 300, and part of it is the strength of how I'm building my receiver core. I'm not wasting spots on other positions. I'm rostering 13 receivers where almost every team in your league isn't going to roster 13. On average, the rest of the teams in your league might roster eight, nine, 10 receivers. So they don't have the volume that you have. But more importantly, I just want to eat as many innings as possible. And I use the high-end receivers guys at the very top of the dynasty landscape as almost a way to give me more leeway into building those innings eaters. If I have Jamar Chase and Amon Ross St. Brown, maybe I don't need six innings eaters. Maybe I only need five. Maybe I can be a little more liberal with the shots that I take, maybe a couple of the receivers that I trade away. Because here's the thing, if you build this way, I have a couple best ball teams that are just flush with receivers. You know, I have two studs, I have eight innings eaters, I have draft picks. Someone wants a couple of those innings eaters. Now, the problem is a lot of times they don't want to pay you for what they're worth to your roster construction. So it's easier said than done. If you get into a best ball dynasty league with other people that are roster constructing like this, the thought of, okay, will you sell me your Hollywood Brown for a late second? They're going to look at and go, man, if my roster construction is where I want it to be, I actually value that guy at that price. I don't want to sell him because he's fitting a specific spot. It's similar to a spot starter at running back in a lineup league. You don't want to sell that spot starter for a third because you're using them. You've constructed around a way where I need that type of player. They don't have any inherent dynasty value, but they have a purpose in my roster construction and in my build. So I think you kind of have to read your league too and look at your league through the lens of how is everybody else building? You know, if you're in a best ball dynasty, the first thing I would do, go to all the other teams in your league and look at their construction. 
Now, you can suspend some of that stuff in the offseason because maybe people haven't cleared out their IR or they haven't cut some players from the end of the year. But just take a look at it as you get closer to the season and go, yeah, you know, there's three or four teams in here that they're just not efficient. They're inefficient. They're leaving 25% of the meat on the bone literally by having an inefficient roster construction. And that's where you can maybe take advantage of, all right, I'm going to lean into it because I know half the people in this league are not paying attention to the construction. They're just going, give me as many players as I can, and it's best ball, and I'll just cast a wide net and see what happens. There's no methodical building behind how they're constructing their team. So that's the best ball roster building in a nutshell. 13 receivers, but I think there's layers to it. You know, I laid out the layers to the guys at the top. Their purpose is, A, you have dynasty value. If you draft Amon Ross St. Brown or you draft Jamar Chase, you have a dynasty asset. You have an option to go, all right, if I want to tear off of one of those guys, I can tear off of CD Lamb and I can tear down to Malik Neighbors and something else. Like I have options to tear off of those players. Then you have the innings eaters. That's where the bulk of your receivers are going to lie. If you only have one stud, you may have eight or nine innings eaters. But I want to have those players that I know are going to give me the majority of those 15 plus point weeks. And they're going to fire randomly throughout the season. So I want to build and focus on always keeping my innings eaters flush. And that's a lot of where your trade zones are going to be as well. Like your innings eaters are going to be where you're going to find trade values available. Hey, I have Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. You can tear off of one of those guys easily. Tear down for two innings eaters. Tear down for another receiver and a draft pick. Like those are great best ball deals when you're dealing with that second tier of the innings eaters wide receivers. Then the third part is the churn and burn. The take random shots with late picks, pick up players off waivers. But the most important thing with this is having the volume. The volume is key. I broke it down from a week-to-week standpoint that if you're trying across the season, let's call it 50% of the time I want a receiver hitting my flex and I want to shoot for 15 points per game every time a receiver hits my flex. So right there, I'm looking for basically 63 receivers to give me 15 points or more in a given week across the season. And it's really not that daunting, right? It's not an overwhelming number, but how do I get there? And the nature of the position, if you look at the war line, the nature of the position is volume is king. Receivers are the dominant position from a scoring standpoint, from a war standpoint, and there's the most of them. So you do not want to go, all right, I'm going to be able to win with only seven or eight receivers in bus ball. Like you better have the every one of them better be on the high end of the innings eaters tier or the top eight, top 10 receivers. Like you better have a core that looks like what you'd want your running back core to look like. Like I want seven top 40 or better running backs. And if you have that, you don't need more. But that's a very, very, very hard, if not impossible receiver room to build and still build out your other positions. You're not going into startup and you're not locking up four top 12 receivers and getting three more innings eaters in the top 40. You can do that, but you're using your first seven picks on receivers if you do it. If that, and you're probably having to trade up to do it. So you're feasibly just not building that way. It would take time to get there. So you don't want to use that as what your expectation is because you're just going to end up being on the very, very low end of the other positions. And those are the positions that you do probably want to lock and set and forget 
that's part of the strategy with the receivers here is I'm assuming that you've set and forget your quarterbacks and running backs. They've hit the minimum threshold that they need to be at, and they're not costing me points. I don't only have two quarterbacks, which means half the time I have receivers firing in my super flex, which increases that number of how many receivers I'm going to need because now I don't have enough quarterbacks for them to fire in my super flex spots. There's times if you look at the my league analytics, running backs, running backs hit your flex spot 25% of the time. So if you do have that core stable of running backs, let's say I have four in the top 30, like I mentioned on the show, you may have times where your running backs hit the flexes, which is good. That alleviates the number that you need at receiver. But receivers are the core. Receivers are where you go, I can't be weak at receiver and probably get by in a best ball format where it's start 11, where the rosters are this deep, take advantage of the roster construction. So hopefully this was helpful. Just to recap, and I will do a recap episode next week, kind of tying all four of them together, Uh, but it was five quarterbacks, five tight ends, seven running backs, and 13 wide receivers. Uh, If you have any follow-up questions, if you want me to do a little bit of a deeper dive into some of my rosters, uh, maybe Dynasty Portfolio Weekly is the right place to kind of dive into, you know, the portfolio part of this. Uh, Because I think what's cool with receivers is there's so many of them that there's tons of different combinations you can have. And if you have a portfolio and you have a best ball portfolio, it's kind of like, man, I can have tons of combos all over the place. And you'll start to see those each team working as like a system every single week when you have receivers all over the place. You have different combinations, different stacks. Uh, It's really organic the way that it works when you've kind of built up a portfolio. So maybe Portfolio Weekly is where I'll talk about some of that. But hopefully this helps everybody with best ball roster construction. It's totally different than lineup. It's literally flip-flopped. I didn't realize when I first started playing best ball a couple of years ago, really what I should have done instead of taking two years to get to this roster construction strategy, I really wish somebody would have just told me, hey, take your lineup construction strategy and like flip it. And that's best ball. And it really is. So that's why they're totally different. If you're doing best ball, try to follow something similar to this, but erase some of those strategies you use in lineup leagues when you go into best ball. Otherwise you'll be stuck with a construction where you're like, this just isn't working and the results aren't there. So hopefully this helps everybody. I'll do a recap episode next week, kind of tying all four together, talking a little more team building strategy of kind of how to get to the push and pull of the four positions. Uh, Check out everything at destinationdebbie.com, the war tool, the Trinity tracker, the Patreon at patreon.com backslash all gas. You get access to the discord. You get access to bonus content. Uh, more stuff coming with war games, war games took a brief hiatus because Ray and I had to get together and figure out exactly how we wanted to do it, but we are ready to go. Stay tuned for an announcement on war games very soon. And if you're in the discord, you're going to get some bonus perks when it comes to war games. So if you're interested, sign up at the website, destinationdevy.com or patreon.com backslash all gas, get in the discord. You get bonus content every week. You get access to Ray, myself and the trades in five crew, uh, over there. And with that, I will go ahead and sign off for the week. Beach show. There's a room of going back.